being able to look at your word. We come to you as people that are weak and are needy, and we ask you to give us of your strength. Uh, move in us by your spirit, we pray. Help us to see wonderful things out of your law as the psalmist prays, and shape us to be more like Jesus, we ask. We pray these things in his name, amen. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak, and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, filled with pity, filled with power. Those are on the first page of the website at Free Grace Presbyterian Church. Appropriately so this week. Free Grace is located in Lewiston, Maine, where 18 people were murdered. Zoe, a 10-year-old who was shot, uh, not killed, reflected on her experience with these words. She said, I didn't expect this to happen to me. Why would people do things like this? And it's a question that plagues all of us, isn't it? Why would things happen like this? Such injustice. And injustice is not simply in Lewis and Maine, or in Ukraine and Russia, or in Palestine in Israel, or a hundred other places in the world. As I thought about Lewiston, Maine, and the Presbyterian Church there, I thought about you, and many stories that I've heard about injustice that you've experienced, and it's enough to break your heart. How do we deal with injustice? That's really the question that's before us and the issue that Luke addresses in these verses we just read. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 24. We're going to start with verse 27 and move our way down through chapter 25, verse 12. How do we deal with injustice when politicians are sometimes unjust. That's where Luke begins. Look at verse 27, please. There's a change in government. Felix has been in charge. Now Festus is taking over. What do we know about either of those men? Not very much from the Bible, but we're not left totally ignorant because Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, can fill in some of the details for us. He tells us that uh, Festus was a slave who rose up through the political ranks until he was governor. He also tells us that Festus was greedy and evil. And we get some hint about that here in these verses. If you look at verse 26, uh, Claudius Lysias had sent Paul down to Caesarea so that Felix could take care of him, could be his judge. And Felix listened to Paul, and then look at verse 26. He says, we're told, Felix hoped 
that Paul would pay him a bribe. Injustice. But then look at verse 27. Uh, the end tells us that Felix, wishing to do the Jews a favor, kept Paul in prison for two years. Imagine that. Festus had a hard job. During his rule, there were Jewish terrorists who hated the Roman government and hated Romans and did whatever they could to make life difficult. Here's one example. There were a group of men at this period in time called dagger men. Josephus tells us about this. Um, during times of uh, holiday festivities uh, in town, Daggermen would walk through the streets, look for their opponent, pull their dagger out from under their cloak, and stab their victim. Then they would disappear into the crowd, circle back around. Uh, if the victim had died, they would mourn with those that were mourning, and so escape deception, uh, any detection. That was the nature of things in the Roman world back then, and it threatened this peace of Rome that was so valued. Festus followed Felix. We don't know why. It may have been because Felix wasn't a very successful governor. And there is evidence, again, that Festus was able to help with this problem of terrorism. But you notice down in chapter 25, verse 9, that Festus himself was not above injustice. See what it says? He says, because he wants to do the Jews a favor, hey, Paul, would you like to go back to Rome? So how do we deal with injustice when at times there are politicians that are unjust? More than that, how do we deal with injustice when there are religious leaders who are unjust? Festus has only been on the job three days and he decides he better get to Jerusalem. And so that's what we're told, verse 1 of chapter 25. He goes to Jerusalem and he meets with the Jewish leaders and they say, Festus, would you please do us a favor? Would you please bring Paul from Caesarea so that he can be tried? And then what do we read in verses 2 and 3? Religious leaders are not above injustice. They have a plan. And we heard about it earlier. Forty-plus Jew, Jewish men had a plan to kill Paul. Now these Jewish leaders, the chief priests and others... They want to bring Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem because they expect that on the way he'll be more vulnerable, they'll be able to ambush him and kill him. And so let's just pause and ask ourselves a question here. What was it with these Jewish leaders? Why are they so intent on doing away with Paul? Well, I think there are two answers that we can give. First of all, these Jewish leaders were marked by what we might want to call um, legalism. They thought that a person could be right with God 
by following Jewish ways, being circumcised, keeping the Jewish customs. Uh, it was all about if you do enough good things, then you'll be able to be right with God. And that's not a foreign idea in our day and age. You know, you say to somebody, well, have you come to the place in your life where you know for sure that you have eternal life? And I've had this experience. People sort of give me a blank stare, and they say, well, why not? I'm a good person. There's lots of thinking that's faulty thinking that goes all the way back to first century Judaism. And before that, we can be right with God if we do enough good things. So that's one of the reasons that these Jews were so intent on getting rid of Paul. He was preaching free grace. He tells us in Titus, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here today thinking that your presence in church is somehow going to give you some high marks with God, forget it. You missed the point. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. So that's one of the reasons for this Jewish opposition to Paul, but there's another. Paul had the audacity to say, you know, it's not just Jews who, if they place their faith in Christ, can be saved. It's also Gentiles. And that just sent Jewish leaders crazy. They're nuts. Get rid of this guy. He should not be allowed to live on the earth. Jews had the idea that they were the chosen race. And they had received God's blessing. And God's blessing was to be kept and hoarded, not passed on to others. So that gives us some explanation as to why this animosity toward Paul. Now, religious leaders are unjust, and we see it in verses 2 and 3, their plot to kill Paul, but just skip down out of verse 7. What happens next in the narrative? Well, uh, Festus says, hey, why don't you guys come on down to uh, Caesarea? I'm going to try Paul there. Bring your people, and uh, we'll uh, see whether or not he has done anything wrong. And so the Jews come down to Caesarea, and it's a really interesting picture. It says that Paul's accusers, these Jewish leaders, they stand around him. And they say many things and serious things, none of which they could prove. Imagine being Paul in that setting. One accusation after another. Well, so what do we do in dealing with injustice when we have politicians who are unjust? What do we do with the problem of injustice when we have religious leaders that are unjust. Festus turns to Paul, again, wanting to do the Jews a favor, and he says to them, and he says to him, would you like to go to Jerusalem and there be tried? Now, you can understand why Paul would not have wanted to do that. That wouldn't be very attractive to him. He's already been nearly killed a couple times in Jerusalem. So why go back for more? So what's he do? Well, he defends himself. And uh, 
He says, I haven't done anything to violate the law of uh, Caesar. I haven't done anything to violate any of the worship at the temple. I haven't done anything to do uh, that's, in, that's contrary to Jewish law. And then after Festus says, do you want to go up to Jerusalem? Then Paul goes on in verses 10 and 11, and he makes a wonderful, wonderful statement that helps us understand this whole idea of uh, how do we deal with injustice. He says, look, he says, here I am in Caesar's court, which is where I want to be. These people can't prove anything against me. If they could, I would be willing even to die, but they can't prove anything against me, and so I want to appeal now to Caesar. He's the next one up the line. Uh, let me go to him. And we're told in verse 12 now, uh, this is the wrap-up of this section, we're told in verse 12 that Festus, after he has consulted with his advisors, administrators, I suppose, he comes back to Paul and he says, Paul, you've asked to go to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. And what is Paul doing here as he says, send me to Caesar? I think what he's doing is he's dealing with injustice from this perspective. He is entrusting himself to God's providence. I think that's what he's doing. Now you say, how can this be God's providence? Well, just remember what happened in his life. Back in chapter 19, remember, uh, he's talking to his friends about his future, and he says, I want to go to Jerusalem. Part of the reason was because he wanted to take an offering to poor Christians there. I want to go to Jerusalem, but after I go to Jerusalem, then I want to go on to Rome. And then remember what happened to Paul when he's nearly torn apart uh, by the Sanhedrin in chapter 23? Jesus comes to him at night and he says, Paul, cheer up. Yeah, you've just been through a harrowing experience, but cheer up. Because as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you are going to testify for me in Rome. And guess where Caesar lived? Who would have imagined that this circuitous path would have turned out so that Paul could eventually be headed to Rome? And it's an all-expense-paid trip. The Roman government is going to take care of this. It's a mark of God's providence. Psalm 76, verse 10, gives us some insight into what we see here. Do you know what it says? It says that God makes even the wrath of man to praise him. Isn't that amazing? God's not simply the man upstairs. What a derogatory way in which to describe him. He is sovereign over every last detail of life, including this problem with injustice that leads to Paul actually being able to fulfill the call that the Lord had given to him. I think something else is going on here that is the basis for our hope. As Luke paints this picture, and let's just say to ourselves, 
When the Jews surround Paul and they're accusing him, they are certainly not painting a good picture of him. They're intent on painting him in a bad way. So how does Paul live? He lives out of hope. And I think that's part of what Luke is doing here. He's pointing us ahead in hope to the future. You say, how so? Well, Luke knows that this is not the end of church history. What is coming for the people of God? John chapter 5, verse 21, we are told that God has given all judgment to his son, to Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, Jesus says, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, he's going to judge all the nations. All peoples will be gathered before him. And then in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, we are told, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we are told, we will give an account of all that we've done, all the things done in the body, whether they're good or bad. As Luke shows us injustice in this setting, he points by negative example ahead to the coming of Jesus when he will set every wrong right. And we are then, in the face of whatever injustice we may have experienced, we're able to entrust ourselves to the Lord that heaven is coming. And Jesus is going to make the record right even though it's very wrong right now. So we want to ask this question then. So what keeps Paul going? In dealing with injustice, what keeps him going? Now, he could have said, you know, uh, this week I went through, my, uh, went through the book of Acts and I looked at various places where Paul experienced uh, some injustice. By my count up to this point, I named 13 places. Um, how about some examples? Remember right after Paul was saved, there was a Jewish plot because he's going into the synagogue and saying that Jesus is the Christ and you ought to believe in him. So there's a plot against him and his friends take him by night and lower him down over the wall so he can escape the city. And then what happens when he gets to Lystra after an amazing healing ministry the people in Lystra get mad at him, and they beat him, and they drag him outside the city, and they leave him there. They believe he's dead. And then, how about in Acts chapter 16? He and Silas go into Philippi, and again, they're accosted, beaten, thrown into jail. Remember how the Lord delivers them there? So there's 13 by my count. I think if I had been Paul, after two or three, I might have said, you know, I don't really like this very much. Maybe I'll do something else. Maybe I'll go back and teach high school math. Or maybe I'll, do, I'll get a job in doing home improvement work. I'll do something else, but I don't know that I really want to keep doing this. What kept Paul going? All right, look at Philippians chapter 1. By the way, it was written from prison. In Philippians chapter 1, Verses 12 and following, Paul says this. 
He says, um, I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have happened uh, for the, fall, uh, the, the furtherance of the gospel so that many other believers, because of my example, are bold to speak a word for Christ. And then he goes on and he says, now, some of them do it from envy and strife and then others from goodwill. I don't really care. What I do care is that Christ be preached. So Paul really is into getting the name of Jesus splattered around to anybody that will listen. He wants people more, better, to hear his word. But then if you go to the end of Philippians chapter 3 and you start at verse 8 and you work your way down to verse 14, Paul gives us more insight into what kept him going. He says in verse 10, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, even his death on the cross. And then he goes on and he says, um, I press on toward the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was the thing that kept Paul going in the face of repeated experiences of injustice? His relationship to Christ. Jesus had died on the cross to pay for all of his sins. And so now Paul says, if I can live for Jesus, I want to do that. He is worthy of my worship. He is worthy of my sacrifice. He is worthy of my suffering. Wonder, would you say that today? Jesus is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my sacrifice. He's worthy of my suffering. It's a great question to ponder as we think about dealing with injustice. So how does Paul deal with injustice, and how does the Lord call us to deal with injustice? Well, first of all, by being patient in the face of it. By being patient in the face of it. Secondly, by defending those who are unjustly accused. Somebody has to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves, the Bible says. One example is in James. What's true religion and undefiled before our God and our Father? To visit the widows and the orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We're called to enter into the suffering of other people that are treated unjustly. And then what else do we do if we're going to deal with injustice in our world? If you are accused, defend yourself. If you've been accused, defend yourself. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, look at what Paul does. You see, uh, back in verse 8, he's accused. Uh, verse 7 the Jewish leaders stand around him and they say many serious things as charges against him. And, Peter, and Paul says, nope, 
I haven't violated the law. I haven't done anything wrong. And where does Paul get that idea that it's okay to work that way? Well, Ajlan mentioned it last week. It's the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. We ought to be careful about the way we talk about other people, for sure. But the ninth commandment also carries with it this inference. We ought to protect our own good name. And so if you've been unjustly accused, you ought to do all you can to defend yourself. And then there's one other thing you ought to do. How else do we deal with injustice? We take a page from Paul's book, Acts chapter 23, verse 11. The Lord comes to him after he's neither been beaten, nearly been beaten to death, and he says, cheer up, Paul. You're going to be able to fulfill my mission for your life. Cheer up, my friends. Whatever your injustice today, the Lord is working his plan, and we see him moving in Paul's life in an amazing, unexpected way. Do you think he's going to move any less in your life? Maybe we can take a page from the life of William Carey on just this point. Remember he went to India back in the end of the 1700s, and back then uh, there was rampant injustice in India, rampant. Uh, it extended to the financial markets, uh, but it was particularly evident in relationships at home. If a wife happened to outlive her husband back then, then when he was, when his body was burned, her body would be burned too. She's burned alive on this pyre. William Carey thought this was the extreme end of injustice and worked for years and years so that finally in 1829, the British government passed a law that outlawed widow burning. It's called sooty, I think, if I pronounce it right. Where does that leave us when we think about injustice in your life, injustice around you? Well, let's remember Psalm 76, verse 10. God makes even the wrath of man to praise him. And let's also remember Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Do you know it? Anybody know it? Micah 6, 8. Anybody? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That'd be a great verse for you to memorize this week. I'll check next week on you, see how it's, how it's going. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us this word that exposes injustice in our world and in our own lives and gives us great hope. We thank you for your strange providence and we ask that you continue to help us to live by faith uh, doing all we can to serve you because you died for us and rose again may our worship and our sacrifice and our suffering be small things for all that you've done for us we ask these mercies in jesus name
Let's sing one more song. It's numbered. <laughs>